Welcome to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow the musical journey of an amateur piano player who's striving to play advanced level works one day, specifically Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is where the podcast gets its name. Every week, we break down one of the pieces that I encounter along the road to this goal, ranging from the 18th century all the way up to modern day. We'll explore the history surrounding the work, examine the music within, and hopefully we all walk away a little more informed and appreciative of classical music. This is episode 25.1, the first episode of a new series where we're going back to a more typical format for the podcast and reintroducing an old friend that we've heard from before, Norwegian composer Edvard Grieg. Out of all of his works for piano, two stand out. His piano concerto in A minor, and his collection of lyric pieces, which are 66 short pieces that were released across 10 volumes that he wrote throughout his career. Back in the first season of the podcast, we discussed the entire first volume of lyric pieces, Grieg's Opus 12. That was an early work for Grieg, and it also coincides with being the most accessible works in the entire lyric pieces collection. While the 10 volumes don't exactly follow a sliding scale of difficulty, the first volume is less complex than the nine that follow. The lyric pieces were famous as Grieg adapted Norwegian folk music for the piano. This sense of nationalism was a goal that he shared with his peers during the Romantic era. Chopin was doing this in Poland, Albanese in Spain, and later Bartok would famously do this in Romania and Hungary. Norway was struggling to find cultural relevance throughout the 1800s. It was often looked down upon as it was the poorest country in Scandinavia. Politically, it struggled for independence from Denmark, only to fall under Swedish control during the Napoleonic Wars. This subjugation made many Norwegians resent their eastern neighbors, and it fueled their drive for cultural independence. The Norwegians wanted to be known for more than just Vikings, trolls, and mountains. And they hoped history would look back on Norway and find someone more famous than Elsa from Frozen. Their culture was calling for a hero, and Edvard Grieg was just the man to heed the call. He was born in Norway in 1843, which firmly places his career within the Romantic era of music. His mother was a talented piano player and singer and his father played piano a bit as well. His earliest career ambitions were related to the clergy. He found the idea of a captive audience intently listening to him rather alluring. What was even more interesting than religion, however, was Mozart and Weber, his mother's favorite composers. He was not the best student, he struggled with math, and he repeated some grades. But he did excel in music which he began to compose at the age of nine. Grieg's big break came by luck of family connection. That's right, Grieg was a bit of a Nepo baby. Grieg's family was related by marriage to the biggest Norwegian music star at the time, Ule Bu, a violinist that rivaled Paganini. He was the cultural pride and joy of the nation, often redundantly described 
as the Norse Norwegian from Norway. He was the living embodiment of Norway's quest to find a cultural identity. He promoted and played Norwegian music throughout the world, even playing a concert at the top of the Egyptian pyramids. As you might imagine, his influence on a young, impressionable Edvard Grieg was enormous. One summer evening in 1858, Ule found himself at the Grieg household, and he asked young Edvard if he would play some of his own compositions. Shortly after that evening, Edvard was enrolled in the Leipzig Conservatory to seriously pursue a career in music. Ule Buhl was a pioneer in the charge to establish a cultural identity in Norway. Grieg would become his protege in this endeavor. He was influenced by Buhl musically, spiritually, and politically, and he remained a close figure throughout his life. At Ule Buhl's funeral, Grieg said this of his mentor. He was a warm-hearted pioneer for our young national music, who planted a seed that will sprout and grow in the future, and for which coming generations will bless your name. Grieg carried that torch that his predecessor left behind, and he helped give Norwegian music a worldwide presence. Some of his greatest cultural contributions can be found across the 10 works he called his lyric pieces. We covered eight of the 66 pieces all the way back in series 12 of the podcast. And for the next three weeks, we're going to discuss four more. Today's piece is the third entry of the final volume of the lyric pieces, volume 10, and it's titled Puck. And since hockey wasn't quite invented yet, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's actually named after a character from folklore, likely of Scandinavian origin. Puck is something of a fairy or an elf or some kind of impish being who's a natural trickster. He's made appearances within the arts for hundreds of years, but most notably as a key role in a Shakespeare play, A Midsummer Night's Dream. Puck, or Robin Goodfellow, as he's also called in the play, is the one who concocts the love potion that sets the comedy's ridiculous romantic plot labyrinth into motion. So as you might expect from a piece about a meddlesome imp, Grieg writes a fun work with a sense of humor, but he sets it in a dark key of E-flat minor, the key of deep distress and existential angst. Dark depression, the dark night of the soul, fear, hesitation, shuddering, and goosebumps, the language of ghosts. Not exactly the fun romp that we were expecting. And Puck is quite different than a ghost. Puck is written in a rondo form of A-B-A-B-A. So we essentially have two sections that are alternating. Part A is anchored by a staccato, oscillating line in the bass, which reminds me of footsteps through the forest. While the right hand also plays with this oscillation idea by playing a melody that weaves back and forth, the A section ends with a descent down the E flat minor scale, but it includes a bit of a joke here. 
Greek has Puck landing on a note that is not found in the E-flat minor scale, and it sounds a little bit sour. So he kind of pauses, looks around, makes sure nobody saw that, and then he corrects himself. The B section takes advantage of its E-flat minor scale, because it sounds a bit sinister, like something's chasing you through the woods. But as the tension and dynamics build, and we expect to find ourselves in the gaping maw of a monster, we instead find ourselves in C major, in some kind of happy woodland dance. And then we find ourselves right back at the A section. And staying true to the oscillating nature of the bass line and the melody, the piece itself oscillates between A, B, A, B, A. And that, children, is the musical story of Puck, the mischievous little woodland imp. The End This is Edvard Grieg's Opus 71, Number 3, Puck. During the next episode, we'll continue on with another entry from the lyric pieces and learn a bit more about the life of Edvard Grieg. Talk to you then. You can find the standalone recording of the piece we discussed today directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all the tracks here on this podcast and more. You can find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody 
or email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher and consider rating or reviewing. It's the easiest way to never miss a new episode, and it helps the podcast gain more visibility. Thank you, as always, for your time and your ears. And remember, the piano keys are black and white, but they sound like a million colors in your mind.